Mexico podcast, hosted by PoorConstructionPros.com and covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. My name is Kurt Bennett, Senior Editor of Equipment Today. And in this episode, Steve Whaley, Director of Auto Gas Business Development, the Propane Education Research Council, shares how converting medium and heavy duty internal combustion engines to propane actually produces a lower carbon footprint in the vast majority of states versus electrical vehicles. Let's dig in now with Steve. So Steve, um, you guys did a, you know, some interesting research lately where you're actually showing that you can have a greater effect of reducing your carbon footprint in up to 38 states just by going to propane versus going strictly EV. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, Kurt, and, and, and thanks for having me. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we used to have to do our, our battling with, uh, with diesel and, and gasoline, and, uh, and you know, uh, it, it, it's easy to show how much cleaner you are in, in that environment, but we have a, a, a new standard now. Um, you know, we've, we've had electric vehicles introduced uh, at, at a consumer level, and, uh, and now it's, you know, being uh, uh, being, being pushed really hard at, at a medium duty and heavy duty level now too. And where uh, electric vehicles are, are, are great at a, at, a, at a passenger light duty cycle, uh, it gets more challenging when you get into a, a class three through eight uh, with your with your vehicle weights and the ranges and the workload that it has to do, um, and and a lot of folks don't don't quite understand that it's not just that scalability throughout a, a passenger weight vehicle uh, up to a medium duty and heavy duty. So, the new standard of comparison has been to the electric uh, uh, electrification of, of of commercial vehicles, and so we wanted to uh, actually show. Um, you know, what, what those emissions really look like, you know, ju not just the tailpipe emissions of, of, you know, toxic, you know, things that are coming out of a tailpipe, but also the entire life cycle of, of the greenhouse gases produced in making that truck roll down the road. Um, so in, in the analysis, we have a, a carbon intensity of, of propane on, on a national average, according to the you know, uh, Energy Information Agency, um, of 79. That's, that's the national average in all, all the states. And then the electric grid, uh, when you analyze its carbon intensity, the average, and various states have electric grid sources that, that differ. And uh, you know, some have more nuclear, some have more wind or solar, and some have more coal or, or natural gas. But when you look at the national average of the carbon intensity of the electric grid, it's 165 compared to the 79 for our propane. Uh, so as, as, as you probably know, carbon intensity isn't, isn't everything, but it's our, our unit of measure, if you will. Uh, and it's the actual CO2 uh, that gets emitted in the, the working of that vehicle that, that really counts. So when you take those two carbon intensities of propane at 79 and you know, the electric grid at 165, uh, and you project out a scenario of uh, a medium duty truck driving 200 miles a day uh, for a year. 
and you compare the CO2 tonnage of each of those, one operating on propane and one operating on a battery being charged from the electric grid. And so when you, when you add up everything, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the extraction of the energies that are going into the power plant, the transmission of the, uh, of the energy going through the distribution and actually being charged into the vehicle and the losses incurred with all of that, uh, you're able to actually do a very good calculation of, of, of what that CO2 tonnage would be. Um, so we're, we're able to do that. And uh, for, for example, in the, in the state of, of Texas, which has a carbon intensity of, of 178, they have a wide mix of, uh, of energy sources going into to their grid. And uh, uh, with that carbon intensity of, of, uh, of 178, if I were to take that same vehicle that we, we talked about and <clears throat> uh, drive it for a year, um, in the state of, of Texas, I would actually be 169 tons of CO2 less than the exact same medium duty, you know, class five through seven truck operating on the electric grid. Uh, so it's, um, it, it, it's very revealing uh, for, for one on, on the greenhouse gases side of things for uh, propane. And that's that's not even counting renewable propane. And I know we'll probably talk about that here in a little bit too, but in 75% in of the states, uh, we're already better than the electric grid uh, from in that medium duty space. I hope, hopefully that helps an answer that question a little bit. No, it really does. So, you, I mean, really, if the, the overall goal is to reduce carbon emissions, you have to look at it from cradle to grave. You can't just look at the actual vehicle just in your fleet. Yes, yes. And, and in, in certain states where there's a lot of hydro uh, power generation, um, they might be a little bit better than that, than that propane vehicle. And in some of the states like uh, my, my home state of South Carolina, we have tremendous amount of nuclear, uh, which is also renewable. Um, so it gets you know, a little bit more challenging. So when we introduce you know, renewable propane, which has a much lower carbon intensity, we're able to do better in 98 states, 90%, 98% of all the states. Um, you know, Vermont has nearly all of its uh, electricity generated from, from hydro that comes out of Canada. Uh, so when we put together a really good blend of, of renewable, um, uh, especially when we take our renewable DMA, which I, I, I noticed an article that you, uh, you had done earlier about, about DMA. So I, I, I know uh, you know what I'm talking about, uh, but when you have that minus 278 carbon intensity of renewable DMA and we, we blend that with a little bit of, uh, of propane, we can, we can make our carbon you know, footprint almost virtually disappear. Uh, and so when we do that, we're even better in Vermont than, uh, than, than you know, the hydroelectricity that's there. Well, I know, especially with the current administration, they're doing a lot of push on, on green energy development, but that's gonna take time. I mean, the, the electrical grids that we have are kind of what we have for right now, and it's gonna take a long time, a lot of infrastructure development to actually get to clean before we can even get to cleaner electric generation. It, it is, it, it takes uh, a, a good bit of money to change that electric grid source and, and where propane is. I mean, we're, we're delivering propane all over these United States every single day. And when we use it in a, in a motor fuel uh, for, for especially the medium duty trucks and, 
and school buses is in that class. We have 21,000 school buses, you know, around these United States traveling uh, in 1,000 school districts. We're moving, you know, 1.25 million children every, every day schools are open. And uh, those, those vehicles are doing great on propane. They're reducing nitrogen oxides by, you know, 96% compared to, to diesel. But even when we compare nitrogen oxides, and I know it's not part of the, the greenhouse gas study that, that we're, we're looking at today, but the, the electric grid in California, for example, is, is pretty clean. It has that carbon intensity of about 83. So it's, it's pretty much a match when you, when you come to the carbon intensity of propane. But an electric motor is much more efficient than a, than a propane you know, internal combustion engine. You, know, you have about a 70% efficiency there where you know, we have about a 35% efficiency with propane. So you have to use more propane to get that work done. So you have to add all of those things together. Uh, but yet when we you know, use renewable propane in California, we are still substantially lower, 131 tons of CO2 lower than the electric grid there. But on the nitrogen oxides, you know, those are those you know, real harmful emissions that come out of a tailpipe. Uh, and an electric vehicle doesn't have a tailpipe. So, you know, Steve, how, how, how can you say that an electric you know, uh, commercial vehicle is producing NOx? Well, the, the energy that was consumed at the power plant produced NOx. And if you break it down in a, in a per mile, that NOx produced for that EV you know, commercial vehicle is actually 88 grams per mile. Uh, so when you compare that to propane's 46 grams per mile, you know, not only are we, we better in the greenhouse gas reduction, we're actually better in the, in the tailpipe emissions because that, that tailpipe exists somewhere, um, not necessarily on the vehicle itself, but at the power plants that are generating the, uh, the energy that's stored in those batteries, it does get produced. And that's what we're doing. We're counting all of it. Now, Steve, I think at this point, it's really important to define what renewable propane is because we've used the term a couple of times. So mm -hmm. can, for our audience, can we define exactly what we mean by renewable propane? Sure, sure. Uh, renewable propane and what I like to call organic propane or our conventional propane are exactly the same molecular structure. So they behave exactly the same way. We get the same infrastructure that, that moves that fuel, uh, the same you know, uh, engines that are, that are burning that, that fuel, and they behave exactly the same way with the same efficiencies. The difference is, is how it's made. Where is it coming from? Our organic propane, you know, 70% of it now is coming from all of our mining for, for natural gases here in these United States. And we have more propane than any other country in the world. You know, we, we produced 28 billion gallons of it last year. We used 9 billion and we exported, you know, 19 billion gallons. So we have a lot of it here to use, especially if we wanted to move it into the transportation sector. But renewable propane is coming from a byproduct of when we produce renewable diesel. Uh, so when, wherever we have a renewable diesel plant, and there's many of them coming online now, we get about 5% of that. And most of the ones that are you know, uh, uh, generating renewable diesel now are, are from fats and oils and, and, and other biomasses that are, that are producing that. So that's what gives us our low carbon intensity. Uh, but it's exactly the same energy characteristics. Um, it, behaves, it behaves the same way. So if, if we were to adopt you know, uh, 
propane powered commercial vehicles today and say we don't have a, a current pipeline like from Louisiana into California and Oregon like there is today. Uh, and and we're, we're in, a, in a state where it's just not readily available. Uh, you can adopt your propane vehicle today with the same infrastructure and then drop in renewable propane tomorrow. Uh, as soon as it does become available, or you have low carbon standard fuel credits that make it more attractive to have it shipped into your area. So that's where the most of the renewable propane is coming from today. We do have another source, and I, I think you know a little bit about what Oberon is doing in, uh, in Southern California. They're, they're, they're making renewable DMA. Uh, dimethyl ether, and uh, they're making it from a source. Uh, a lot of it's the the the, the dairy uh, waste, and its carbon intensity is minus two hundred and seventy eight. So we take that renewable DME, which is the exact same molecular structure as propane, except for one oxygen mod, uh, atom in there, uh, and we blend twenty percent of that with eighty percent of our propane, and that's where we get our second source of renewable propane. Uh, and that's, that's coming online now, and it's having a, a tremendous benefit for, for especially those in uh, states with the low carbon standard fuel credits. Do, do you see that continuing to grow? Because that industry is, it's been kind of slow to take off, but it, we're starting to see a little bit of growth there. Do you see that picking up steam in the current I market? have. And, and, and you see all of the, uh, uh, so, some of the shutdown refineries now are being converted to, to making renewable diesel now. There's the uh, Phillips 66 in San Francisco uh, Bay that's uh, uh, projected to do 800 uh, uh, million gallons of renewable diesel. So that'll give us about 35 million more gallons of renewable propane because it's a, it's a byproduct. You can't get around it. It's a byproduct of, of making it. So we'll have more of that. And then as, uh, as Oberon's technology comes more online and we have a lot of dairy farms in these United States and uh, you know, those can pop up and take care of more of a, of, of a micro area. Uh, so you don't have to transport it as far as well. Okay, and you know, in, in terms of, of telling this story, how are you working with politicians to try to incentivize propane use? Because it sounds like there's a real strong case use story here, but is there, do there need to be incentive case developed to actually push the, pro, the development of propane powered vehicles? Well, the, the Propane Education Research Council um, does educating and we do uh, a lot of funding research, but we're, we're not a lobbying organization. Uh, we, we do not talk with politicians about setting policy and, and that there are other associations that do that, but we do provide uh, a lot of information and research that will help those who need to understand the, the, the total picture much better and make and make good decisions with with how we're going to incentivize. Um, I, I, I think it's great to in, incentivize things uh, at, their, at their beginning stages, um, but at some point, uh, you, you, know, you, you have to be able to stand on your own two legs, okay? It has to be, you know, a, not, not just a, uh, uh, an, an environmental sustainability, but it has to be an economic sustainability. Uh, so, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's really no way that you can incentivize something into a sustainable existence over a long period of time. Um, and, and right now, propane has the 
best value uh, for, for making that happen. We, in our, in our medium duty commercial vehicles, we're, we're averaging about 15% of that vehicle's regular cost on conventional fuels. And if you look at you know what it costs to do uh, an EV, I mean you're anywhere from from 250 to 350 percent of the normal cost of that vehicle. So we can put three to four times as many vehicles, reducing more greenhouse gases than than EVs um, today and and even tomorrow if we want to use renewables and and way into the future. Let let let's say the electric grid. Uh, you know, after we spend trillions of dollars on it, we can achieve the 95% reduction in, in carbon intensity by, you know, 2035, okay? And if we do that uh, and we compare the same CO2 emissions of that medium duty truck one year to one year, and we do our best blend of renewable propane, we're still better in carbon intent, in, in CO2 emissions than all the states in, uh, in, 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 in the country. So uh, even in you know, Texas, we picked on that one. You know, if, if the carbon intensity of, of that state you know, reaches its 95% reduction goal by, by 2035, we're still 79 tons of CO2 less in Texas than we are with that electric grid. So it's, it's, it's a great fuel for today and tomorrow, but it's, it's not a fuel to be discounted for the future because we're still gonna be in that class, you know, three through seven space, the, the best game in town. Well, and one of the things that, that I think is substantial with your, tech, with your fuel source is you can use today's technology. You're not relying on R&D to hopefully provide a solution in the future. My understanding is propane can be used with pretty much any internal combustion engine that's being designed today. Is that the case? It, it, it can. I, uh, uh, when, when, when I started about 15 years ago, I, I used to make the statement that anything that has a spark plug, I can make run on propane. Uh, and, and, and that bore, bore out from airport tugs to even a backpack blower or weed eater to, uh, to now the, the large, um, you know, class six and seven engines that, you know, folks like Roush Clean Tech and PSI are putting in, you know, the, the class seven bobtails that were delivering propane, you know, all over the country. And uh, so it's, <clears throat> it's going very well. And all of the projections I've given you so far today is, is with engine technology that is today, it hasn't even progressed and, and we're progressing. We're, we're, we're developing more efficient engines now uh, in, in the making that, you know, in, in a few more years are even gonna be less, you know, carbon in, intensified because the efficiencies are going up. Now, let's talk about a second. You were saying the technology has to stand it's on its own two feet. There mm -hmm. are limitations and there's pros and limitations to every technology. And in the battery world, I know range anxiety is one. And another one is weight. How do you guys stack up in terms of weight and, and, and refueling possibilities compared to electric currently? Sure, sure. And, and I'm sure that wasn't a pun intended with currently, um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take it as some levity here anyway. But uh, uh, when, when, we, when we make a, you know, take, say a typical, you know, class seven, 26 foot, you know, box truck uh, that's running on diesel. Uh, when we have that same engine, you know, with, with a spark ignited engine go, going down the road, the weight is the same. 
uh, we don't increase the, uh, the, or decrease the payload capability uh, by putting very you know, heavy sets of batteries on that, on that vehicle. Uh, as far as the range goes, um, uh, school buses is one of them. We, we have a range in that class seven that goes 400 miles. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that takes care of all of the field trip. That, I mean, you know, and it's, you know, with the network of, of propane, you know, fuel dispensing around the United States um, with, you know, 3,500 public sites, you know, that you can pull in and, and, and fill up. Uh, and it pumps at the same rate as gasoline and diesel, anywhere from eight to 12 gallons a minute. So, you know, you're, you're there just a few minutes and not having to wait eight hours to get a full charge to be able to do that. So it, uh, <clears throat> it, it compares very well to our conventional uh, aspects of what the duty cycles of people in the, in the commercial fleet world are expecting today. Okay, and we, I know I've seen the refueling process before at the work truck show, but can you explain a little bit the infrastructure that's required versus the electric infrastructure that might be required to convert your fleets? Sure. Um, actually, when we set up a propane auto gas dispensing uh, fuel station, it's, uh, it, it's cheaper to do than gasoline and diesel. Um, and, and one of the reasons is because of the, the risk mitigation of leakage and spillage. Uh, the EPA doesn't even regulate propane fuel uh, refueling sites because uh, they, they know it, it can't contaminate the soil or, or, or water sources. And, and, and so uh, it, it, it evaporates and it's non-toxic. So um, it's, it's, it's less expensive to do than, than gasoline and diesel. Uh, and it's extremely portable for, for $40,000 worth of equipment. Uh, and just a little bit of site preparation. The site preparation for a commercial fleet to set it up at their place would be to bring a, a, a 220, 30 amp circuit to a pump, um, which is basically a clothes dryer in your home. You know, it's a, it's a small little pump and it, but it pumps all day long, 24 hours a day, you know, eight to, to 10 gallons a minute. So uh, that's all that's needed to move propane into, you know, vehicles to, to make them work. So about $40,000 worth of equipment will take care of a fleet up to about 50 vehicles. Uh, and of course, I think, you know, when you're bringing in some very high voltage and a lot of current uh, to, to charge up, you know, these, these larger, you know, commercial vehicles, it, it's, it's not like the passenger car you can pull in your driveway and use a 110 circuit uh, to, to do an eight hour charge overnight. Uh, there's some substantial power that needs to come in. And, and if you don't have it, you have to get it to your property. And then, uh, you know, to do 10 vehicles, it's about $250,000 uh, of, of electrical power. Uh, and, and the and the stations to do those, but it's not scalable because, you know, if you have more than 10 vehicles, there's, there's just not a place, there's not another wire to connect. Um, where with propane, you can have the same dispenser and just increase the tank size behind you uh, to, to have more capacity and grow your fleet. And that's what makes it very scalable for fleets to start off with, you know, five, six, seven, 10 vehicles, and then move into four or 500 of them, uh, like what we're seeing with, uh, with the class seven school buses today. Well, and our industry tends to be a very portable industry. And in terms of the equipment doesn't always come back to the same job site or same to central location. Mm -hmm. It goes out to a job site and it's on a job site for two or three months and it moves to another job site. And portability mm -hmm. is a big issue. How does propane play well into that type of environment? 
Well, what we'd love to do is, is set up a, a you know more of a permanent situation at the uh, uh, the location, the central location where all the, the vehicles go. Whether it's a warehouse that everybody's going to pick up parts, or whether you're you know stationed at a at a you know uh, your your home base. Uh, but one of the great things about propane is is we're extremely portable. Um, you know we have thousands of you know what we call bobtail delivery vehicles, and you've seen them. They go out to you know people's home. They go to my home and and fill up my my tank and you know that's buried in my yard and. Uh, they're, they're used to moving propane around like this. Uh, and in a pinch, like the city of Boston, uh, doesn't have room for any infrastructure for diesel or gasoline or propane or anything. Uh, so they have bobtails that come in every night and fill up 400 buses uh, for, for the next day. Um, that's not ideal because you know, the, there's a little bit more cost associated with that, you know, what we call wet hosing. Um, but the ideal is, is more permanent. But the other is our mobile refueling. Um, we, we have quite a few, you know, 1,000 gallon tanks on a, a, you know, a trailer uh, with, a, with a small generator that, you know, runs on propane, uh, obviously, and, and powers that pump, and you, you turn it on. I was just at a, at a site in North Carolina where one of the, uh, the independent contractors for the United States Postal Service just added eight trucks, uh, class seven trucks, and uh, they were they were getting their they got their trucks before they got their infrastructure set up. So uh, they had a mobile uh, fuel station come right into their place and uh, uh, set up, and they turn it on and they fill their trucks and go. But I can see that happening at, at construction sites too. Uh, being you know if you needed that kind of of power. Um, uh, you, you could use a, a, a propane-powered generator to generate electricity on, on site. You could use a, a micro CHP, combined heat and power. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of use for propane, and it's very resilient. I mean, we saw that in, in Texas this last week. You know, I mean, it was, it was the fuel everybody was using to try and stay warm and to heat their water and to, and to, and to keep themselves, uh, you know, from, from freezing to death. Now, go, taking a step back from EV and even comparing to diesel, in our industry, there's always been that you have to replace something with an equivalent power source. And it's been hard to replace diesel in a lot of applications because the power output and the type of horsepower and torque, especially that you can get out of a modern diesel engine. How does propane compare? Well, what, one of the things that we've, we've just been working on is the development of a, of a purpose-built new engine. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this project with, with, with Cummins and uh, uh, it's, it's a, a few years out, but we're able to uh, match the, uh, the horsepower, actually even a little bit more horsepower and a little bit more torque. Uh, and it's, uh, it's exciting in its, in, in its developments and in field testing now. Uh, but what we have today, you know, with, um, you know, the, uh, the engines that are going into Freightliner's custom chassis, the, uh, the 8 liter and the 8.8 .8 liter, um, the uh, 7.3 from, from Ford with Roush's uh, propane system on there. These are great work trucks. Um, and when we go into the, the paratransit industry, all those shuttle buses with that, you know, 7.3 that's real common in the Ford cutaway. I mean, these, these operate beautifully. And they, 
they don't they don't miss a beat. You talk to any of the drivers of, of those school buses that are on propane and they never want to go back to diesel. Uh, one, you, you, you don't have any cold start issues anymore, but I mean, they're responsive in their uh, uh, in their accelerators. They actually, I mean, you, you push on it, you actually go, you know, you don't have to stand on the thing to, to, to get it to move down the road. You know, that, that's an interesting point that I really haven't thought of before, but, you know, diesel engines have been optimized to run on diesel. Compression ratios and everything's been optimized for diesel, mm -hmm. and then you're converting it to propane. Are there further gains to be made if you actually optimize the engine to run on propane? When, uh, when you optimize and build it from, from the ground up, uh, you, you get to take advantage of the extremely high octane that propane has and uh, compression ratios uh, that we can go back to, you know, kind of like going back to the muscle cars of, of, of the 60s and whatnot with those kind of compression ratios. But with compression ratios going up, your, your efficiencies get better. So better brake thermal efficiency happens. Uh, and with all of those, we, we get a substantial Substantial reduction, about 25% uh, more CO2 emissions less than, than what we're doing now with, with propane engines, which is really good. And circling back, I'm sure you get this question all the time, especially from the environmental groups, but aren't you a carbon fuel? And how, how do you respond to, to, the, to the, that? Well, most, most of the time we're, we're called a fossil fuel. Uh, and, and so um, what, what, I, what I tell people is, yes, um, we, we are a fossil fuel and uh, not all fossil fuels are, are created the same. Um, we, we have some of them like wood and, and coal and, and oil that are quite frankly, very dirty, okay? But we've, we've got some like natural gas and propane, which are extremely clean, I mean, uh, I, I, I like going out on my back patio and, and using propane to, to actually fire up my grill and touch my food. Um, it's, it's, it's clean enough for, for me to eat uh, uh, from, from that. But you know we've, we've known that propane is a clean burning fuel for decades and decades and decades. I mean, we, long before the EPA was even started, uh, we used propane and forklifts inside warehouses. Why? Because if you use gasoline and diesel, people were dying. <laughs> and, and so with, with propane, we, we've always been cleaner. Even though you know, it, it, it might be considered a fossil fuel, not all fossil fuels are created the same. We're extremely clean. And a proven history, because I remember even some of the agriculture tractors I've seen from clear back in the 60s oh, yeah. that were propane powered. Indeed. So, Indeed. so you guys have a long history and it sounds like you're positioned well for the future too. I mean, it sounds like, you know, if you really look at the car, the carbon footprint that's produced from from where the energy is produced to where it's used, you have a pretty strong story to tell. We do, and and we haven't told that story very well in the past. Um, but uh, uh, the Propane Education Research Council, especially with with Dr. You know Gokul Vishiswan, who is um, put together this decarbonization medium duty uh, white paper that we've been referring to. Um, and anybody can look at all of the, the, the data points if you go to propane.com and, uh, and just type in decarbonization if you want to. And, and that'll be one of the first articles that, that come up. And you can see all of the assumptions and all of the reference points for how we came to uh, those, those CO2 um, comparisons for, for both vehicles.
how can readers get a, that are interested get a, a get a hold of this report? Where, where can they find this report? If you go to propane.com, and uh, that, that's our website. And if you type in the, in the search bar, just decarbonization, uh, it'll, it'll be one of the very first articles that come up. Or you can put in you know, decarbonization of medium duty vehicles uh, or greenhouse gas life cycle analysis. Um, but just go to propane.com and, and you'll, you'll find it there along with um, how you can look at your fleet and know what vehicles are already out there ready to go for, for propane especially in that class three through seven uh, space. We, we do a lot with paratransit shuttle buses. We do a lot with parcel package delivery. Uh, we do a tremendous amount with food and beverage uh, as well. And uh, these are all great market spaces for, for us to move from diesel and gasoline into propane. Um, not, not to discount EV vehicles. I think they're great at a, at a light duty passenger, uh, even, even you know, for, for you know, some, some of the use in, in our family. Um, but when it comes to moving weight and, and size and, and power, uh, propane is doing a great job with that. And we can do it cleaner and a lot less expensive. Do you, do you think we'll see the day when it, we'll see a 80,000 pound class eight truck going down the road powered by propane? <laughs> I, I think it, it'll certainly happen in, uh, in, in, in my career. And that's, uh, that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to. It seems, it seems like we have the supply. You were saying we have an ample supply to be energy sufficient in this country with propane and natural gas. Oh, absolutely. We have more of it here than, than all, all the other countries around the world. Um, and, and for us to use it, wisely is is much more prudent than investing you know trillions of dollars into uh, an electric grid that will be necessary uh, to to produce this much power I mean we, we've seen what's happened in California with the demand on the electric grid now now you want to start putting you know tens of thousands of you know heavier duty vehicles pulling off that I mean we, we can do that now right now with propane Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Steve? Oh, I just want to say thank you for for uh, for for let me let me come and, and talk with you about this, and uh, I, I appreciate it a whole lot. And we we look forward to you know folks coming to propane.com to to find out more about how they can convert their fleet to running on auto gas. Well, that's it for this edition of Digging Deeper. Thank you to Steve Whaley at Perk for taking the time to talk with us today. Tune in every week for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast, 54constructionpros.com. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.